Um, we're going to read today from Luke 11, uh, 14, uh, or if you have notes, you can follow me from the Gospel of Luke. This is week number 14, when we are talking about Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels. We're following Christ, uh, we're trying to follow Christ chronologically, so um, just go through the events of his ministry um, after, since he started the ministry, after his baptism and encounter with uh, Satan. Wayne, you want to say something? They're in the bulletin, and there's, I have one right here with the notes and everything. You're fine. Here you go. You got one? Okay, perfect. Um, <clears throat> so we're following Jesus chronologically. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Not just go through one gospel, but go through the three synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and try to construct the life of Christ and just go through some of his teaching to know and some of his miracles and parables just to know who is Jesus of the Synoptic Gospels. We're not trying to go passage by passage. We're trying to learn about Christ himself, how Matthew, Mark, and Luke presented him to us. The passage today we're going to read from is actually uh, present in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to stay in this passage for <clears throat> a couple of weeks, but... Um, the, the part we're going to read today is actually from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 14. Here is what uh, the scripture tells us. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Belizebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Verse 17, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself, it will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say to you this because you claim that, that I drive out demons by Belizebub. And if I drive out demons by Belizebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God Amen. has come upon you. Can Amen. we say that last verse together? Amen. Because that's what we're going to stop today. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, again, I, I was just mentioning earlier that this story was mentioned in all three synoptic gospels. Mark has the shortest version. Matthew and Luke expounded on uh, the, the story from Mark with a little bit of additions here and there. So we're going to uh, focus on the story from Luke this week. Next week we might look into Matthew. I'm not sure, but uh, or next time I preach, we might look into Matthew and just see um, what it's saying there. The Matthew, if you go back to Matthew and read what is going on there, the story in Matthew has a couple of differences than the one in Luke. In Matthew, we see that the guy who was demon-possessed was both blind and mute. Luke tells us that he was mute. Now, Matthew elaborates more on that and adds that he was blind. And um, Jesus healed him, and then the Pharisees start complaining. So Jesus pretty much went through the exact same um, arguments, the exact same logic that we read about here in Luke. There is only one small difference in verse in Matthew uh, 12, all in your notes, uh, verse 27, here's what Jesus said in Matthew, and if I drive out demons by not the finger of God, but by the Spirit of God, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the finger of God in Luke is equivalent to the spirit of God in Matthew. Just a couple of small things here. The fact that Matthew tells us that the guy was blind and mute. Luke tells us that he was mute only. This is not a contradiction per se. Uh, the guy could be blind and mute, but Luke is only emphasizing one aspect of this guy, that the fact that he was mute. Maybe that was the severer part or that, that was the part that was harder uh, or longer. Or There's some reason why in that story that Luke wanted to emphasize that the guy was a mute. Um, it's a contradiction if Luke tells us that the guy was mute and Matthew tells us the guy wasn't mute. Now that's a problem. That's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction if one of the evangelists is focused on a specific side of the story while the other doesn't. You guys are with me? Uh, for example, like in, in, in the blind man Bartimaeus that we read about in, in, in Mark chapter 10. Mark tells us that it was one blind man. Matthew tells us that there were two blind men. So there is still not a contradiction. They might have been two, but Bartimaeus was the one who was more vocal, the one who was more aggressive, who was the leader of the both of them. So that's why Mark focused on him. So this is just some thoughts for us. When we read the scriptures, especially the Synoptic Gospels, it's not a contradiction if one of the evangelists is focused on a specific angle or a specific part of the story and not mentioning every single part that the other evangelists are talking about. You guys are with me? Now, they came to Jesus. Um, Luke was saying, interestingly, that Jesus was driving out demons. I need to look into this. I, I just noticed it now. Was driving, that's like a past continuous tense, right? This is not something that Jesus did in a matter of seconds. That was a process. He was driving out that demon. It took like a little bit of time for that demon to be cast out. I need to look into this, but I'm just observing that now. He was driving out that demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the crowd was amazed. If you go to the story in Matthew, in verse 23, it says this, all the people were astonished. So Matthew is like even uh, elaborating more. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So the people were amazed when they saw that the demon were cast out and the guy who was blind and mute now can see and now can speak. Luke tells us something among these lines that the crowd were amazed, but not everyone was impressed. Apparently, there were some Pharisees there who start complaining about Jesus, and their logic is Jesus is casting out demons by the prince of demons. So he's using demonic forces to cast out demons out of people. I mean, they cannot deny that the miracle existed, so they're not questioning the fact that there's a transformation, but their logic is, well, the miracle is there, Jesus cannot be from God, therefore it has to be demonic. That's how they thought about it. Now Jesus takes them on, and he is arguing back that their logic is faulty. And in our passage today, Jesus gave them three ifs. If, if, if. So we're going to talk about these three ifs real quick, but really we're going to focus on the third one. This is not just all the arguments of Jesus. Next week, we're gonna, or next time I preach, we're going to see more arguments how Jesus is telling them that their logic is faulty. But right here in the book of Luke, starting in verse 18, Jesus tells them three ifs why their logic is faulty. Now, number one, if Satan is divided against himself, he cannot stand. So in, in his first response to them, Jesus is telling them, your logic is altogether wrong because a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. If I am casting out demons by the prince of demons, then that doesn't make any sense. 
Your logic doesn't make any sense, Jesus said, because, because a house that is divided cannot stand. If Satan, will, the prince of demons, will use his power against his own demons, then his kingdom will not be able to stand. And then Jesus moved to the second F. And if I am driving out demon by, by Elizabeth, now he's changing the argument. In, in, in the first F, he's saying, your logic is wrong. Your argument is faulty. Now he's saying, let's assume that you're right. Let's assume that I am casting out demon by the prince of demon. By whom do your followers drive them out? Yeah. Now, I love the NIV. It's one of my absolute favorite uh, translations. I think it always gets it right, but I think the NIV messed it up this time. Because the word your followers in Greek, it literally means your sons. Now, it happened that in that culture, when, when you have a teacher, the followers of their teacher culturally can be called your, their son, the son of that teacher. So, so the NIV went with the culture of what it means here to, to be the sons of these teachers, of these Pharisees. But I don't think that Jesus was talking about their followers or their own sons, like metaphorically as the one who received their uh, teaching. Jesus said, by whom do your sons drive them out? So then they will be your judges. So who are the sons here that Jesus is talking about? There's a lot of opinions out there. What I think is that Jesus here is talking about his own disciples. In Luke chapter 10, the previous chapter, Jesus just sent his disciples out to cast demons, to do miracles, and perform healings. And they did. And they came back to Jesus and said, even the demons listen, uh, listen yeah. to us, obey to us uh, through your own name. Yes. Now Jesus saying, let's assume that your logic is correct and that I'm, I personally am using the power of the prince of demons to cast out demons. How about your own sons, the sons of your own nations, the disciples that I have called out? These have just cast out demons. By whom did they cast these demons out? They cast them out by the power of God. You guys are with me? Yeah. This is how Jesus is, is answering them. So his first response is, your logic is faulty. It can't happen because if Satan is divided, his kingdom is divided, it will fall. The second argument is, if your argument is correct, you have evidence from, from your own sons, my own disciples, that it cannot be true. And then Jesus moved on to the third F, which we're going to stand, we're going to talk about a little bit here today. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God, then the kingdom of yeah. God has come upon you. Amen? Now, we just seen by comparing Matthew and Luke that the finger of God in Luke is synonymous to the power of God or the spirit of God that we read about in Matthew. So let's talk a little bit about that phrase, that if. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God was mentioned three times in the Old Testament. There is three possible backgrounds to understand the phrase finger of God from the Old Testament. The first time we read about it, not chronologically, but the first time we read about it is that the finger of God is a reference to God's wonders in creation, how beautiful his creation is. That's from Psalm 8, verse 3 to 4. This is what David said. When I consider your heaven the works of... Yes. your fingers the moon and the stars which we have put in place what is mankind that you think of him or the son of man that you be mindful of him so david looks at the wonders of creations like god i look at the works of your 
fingers. Obviously, that's a metaphor. God did not shape things with his fingers because God doesn't have physical fingers. Even from the story of creation, God said a word and things came to existence. But David here is using the word fingers metaphorically to tell us about the wonders of God's creation, his wisdom displayed and his majesty displayed in his creation. The second reference to the finger of God in the Old Testament is in giving of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 31, 18, this is what the scripture says. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses in Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed how? By the finger of God. So that's the second time we see the reference to the finger of God in the Old Testament. And the third and the final time we see a reference to the finger of God in the Old Testament is in the book of Exodus chapter 8. What is going on at that time is that Moses has been commissioned and sent by God to get the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In order to accomplish that, God used Moses to strike Egypt by 10 plagues so that the heart of Pharaoh will be softened and finally kind of give up really and let the people of God go. So we, in that context, we read in Exodus chapter 7 that God starts striking Egypt with the 10 plagues. The first plague we read about in Exodus chapter 7 verse 20 to verse 22 that Moses went with Aaron he struck the river Nile and the river Nile changed into blood. That was the first plague that God used against Egypt. But look at this. If you read in Exodus 7 verse 22, here is what the scripture tells us. But the Egyptian magicians, these are sorcerers and magicians, pretty much demon works, right? That's just evil works. But the Egyptian magicians, look at this, did what? Did the same things by secret arts and Pharaoh's heart has become hard. Look at this. God used his power to strike the river Nile and change the river Nile to blood. I don't know about you. That would be an amazing, insane display of the power of God, isn't it? But look at this. The Egyptian magicians, by using demonic forces, pretty much, that's what it is. You know, they, they did the exact same thing that God was able to do. Move on to plague number two, that's frogs. So Moses and Aaron struck Egypt and the land was filled of frogs that made the life of the Egyptian miserable. Now, I don't know about you, when maybe millions of frogs show up all at once, I don't know about you, but that's an amazing display to the power of God, amen? But look at that, in verse seven of Exodus chapter eight, the second plague. But the magicians, look at this, did the same Things by secret arts, they also made frogs come out of the land of Egypt. This is insane. Do you see that? Satan is able with his power to keep up with God's power. God strike the river Nile and now it's full of blood. Satan can do that. God can strike the land and it brings forth frogs. God can do that. Now let's move to the third plague that God used, and that's in Exodus 8, 16 to 18. God strike Egypt with lice, the whole land. And we read this in verse 18. Here is Exodus 8, 18. Now the magicians so worked with their enhancements to bring forth lice. So they're trying to mimic the power of God, but they could not. Now they could not keep up with the power of God this time. So there were so there were lice on man and peace because of Moses. 
Then the magician said to Pharaoh, when they failed to keep up with the power of God and do the exact same miraculous powers that Moses were able to fulfill through the power of God, what did the magician tell Pharaoh? This is what? The finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was heartened anyway. So these are the three incidences in the Old Testament when we read or hear the phrase finger of God. Most likely than anything else that when Jesus was talking about the finger of God in the book of Luke, when he said that if I cast out demons by the finger of God, that Jesus had that passage here in Exodus chapter 8 in his mind and that this is specifically what Jesus was referring to. He was referring to the power of God that was manifested over the land of Egypt, the finger of God that the magicians could not keep up with. And he said if the exact same power of God, the spirit of God, that as he said in Matthew, is now the reason why this guy who was demon possessed is not demon possessed anymore, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Amen? Amen? Now, with that in mind, let's look a little bit more specifically into that verse in the book of Luke. When Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I want to highlight three things that Jesus was talking about here in that verse. He was telling us three points. Number one, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a greater power. Yes. Number two, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of deliverance power. And number three, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of now power. Yes. Let's talk about, can we say these three uh, points again together? I want you to know it. Number one, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a greater. greater power. Number two, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a deliverance. deliverance power. Number three, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a now power. Let's talk about the first thing. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of greater power. That is really the whole reference in the book of Exodus. Think about this. The magicians were able to keep up with the work of God in the first plague and in the second plague. It's only when it came to the third plague that they gave up and said, this is God's power that we cannot match. You guys are with me? The idea here is that the kingdom of darkness, think about this. What the Bible is trying to tell us from that story in the book of Exodus 8 is not that the kingdom of dark, darkness is powerless. You guys are with me? It's not that there's no, that Satan, all oh, poor thing, he doesn't have any power to do anything. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. The whole point of the whole, the magicians keeping up with Moses for two plagues is that the kingdom of darkness has so much power. As a matter of fact, it can keep up with God's work for the first two plagues, right? But the finger of God is not to tell us that Satan has no power, but rather that the power of God, the power of the kingdom of God is far much greater yeah. than that of Satan. You guys are with yeah. me? Amen? Whoa. We see another example of that in Exodus chapter 7. Now Moses with Aaron, they just went to Pharaoh and Moses just delivered the message to Pharaoh that God wants his people out. God gave Moses two signs to perform in Pharaoh's sight and when he does that, Pharaoh will know that Moses has the power of God. The first sign is that Moses will take his rod, throw it on the floor, it will turn to snake. And the second sign is that when Moses put his hand in his, uh, like inside his garment, gets it out, it's going to be leopard, put it back in, and then it's going to be healed. These are the two signs that God has told Moses to show Pharaoh. Now, look at this. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 7, verse 10. 
So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they just did as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his official and it became a snake. Verse 11. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian, look at this, and the Egyptian magicians through demonic powers also did the, the same thing by secret art. Yes. Keeping up with God so far. But look at verse 12. Then each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But here is the key. But Aaron's staff swallowed yes. up their staffs yeah you guys are with me yeah. so it is not that the kingdom of darkness doesn't have power the kingdom of darkness is pretty powerful but the power of god the power of the spirit of god is much greater the power that is in the finger of god is far much greater than that of demons than that of the kingdom of darkness amen i mean look at our story here the guy was mute according to luke he was mute and blind according to matthew i don't know about you that's pretty serious power that satan can exercise on that man too much so that the guy can't see he 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 veils his eyes he can't see he he tie his tongue he can't speak he's mute that's a lot of power that Satan is exercising on that guy. Amen? But when Jesus came into the scene and when he cast out that demon by the finger of God, by the power of God, we just read that the people were amazed. Everybody was shocked because Jesus exercised greater power over that guy who was demon-possessed. Amen? Satan has him in his power, in his snare for so long. But when the kingdom of God, when Jesus came, when the finger of God manifested, Jesus exercised far much greater power on that man so much so that the people were all shocked and amazed and they said could this be the son of David and the obvious answer is uh, yes and if you continue read Jesus argument right after Jesus said if I by the finger of God cast out demons then the kingdom of God comes upon you Jesus is using a parable an illustration he's saying if a strong man can can guard his house keep his goods safe nobody can touch them but when the one who's stronger than him comes he will bind the strong man and plunder his goods amen the strong man in that parable is Satan, who was able to keep that man mute and blind for so many for so long, but the one who's stronger than him is Jesus, who came and is able to bind the man, the, to bind the strong man and plunder his goods. Amen? Amen. But look how Jesus describes Satan. Jesus doesn't describe Satan as the weak man or the powerless man or the man who doesn't have no authority whatsoever. Jesus described him as the strong man but jesus is stronger than the strong man amen so it is not that the kingdom of darkness doesn't have power but that the kingdom of light the kingdom of christ the power of god is of greater power than that of satan amen, amen. one more example luke 10 18 to 19 the disciples have jesus is about to commission them to go out and be his ambassadors and you know bring the kingdom of god now look how he's saying it in Luke 10, 18 to 19. I saw Satan, let me pause. I can't remember if this is after they came or before they went. Okay, after they came. And here's what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yes. Now look at verse 19. I have given you 
power, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all that weakness of the enemy. Does it say that? All that power of the enemy. It is not that the enemy doesn't have power, but the power of Jesus is far much greater than the power of Satan. Amen? Amen. The power of the kingdom of God. And that's the whole point of the finger of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Even though the kingdom of darkness has power, the kingdom of God comes with a greater and far much better and stronger power than that of Satan. Amen? Amen. Now look at what Jesus say here. He say, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then what? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So from that sentence here, what is the mark of the kingdom of God according to Jesus? How do you know that the kingdom of God has come? Power. When the finger of God is at work, right? When the power and the presence of God is at work. And throughout the scripture, this is exactly the mark of the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of power. Look at this, Luke 10, 9. Now Jesus now is about to commission his disciples and he tells them this. Heal the sick who, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is or has come near to you. Now look at this. The proclamation that the kingdom of God has come near is associated with healing the sick and the supernatural power manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah. It's the mark that of the kingdom of God that we are moving in the power of God. Yeah. First Corinthians 4, 18 to 19. Now, Paul, poor Paul, he just planted that church in Corinth and led all these people to Christ. He leaves and now they're all fussing and they don't like him very much. And they start like, there is a lot of teachers there who try, try to stir up people against Paul. So Paul writes back to the Corinthians about this and he's, here's what he tells them. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not if, as if I were not coming to you, you're acting like I'll never see you again. That's what Paul said. But if I come to you very soon, if the Lord willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. You guys are with me? It's like, I don't want to just hear words. I want to see what authority, what power these people have. Why? Verse 20, for the kingdom, look at this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. Amen? That's exactly what Jesus was telling his readers. You know that the kingdom of God has come when you see the power of God. Now, I know we're not seeing that in our church or with 10 people, whatever, but this is God's word. Our life needs to change to match what the word of God is saying. Amen? It's the kingdom of God has to come through the power of God. That's God's way, his will, his plan, and that's the way the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Amen? And if we don't see it this way, then we need to keep praying and keep seeking God and keep praying for the sake till we see it this way. We're not going to change God's word to match our experience. We need to change our experience to match. God's word. Amen? So the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a greater power. But number two, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of a deliverance power. 
When the finger of God showed up in the book of Exodus, when the magician said, this is the finger of God that was associated with delivering the children of Israel out of the house of bondage, out of the bondage of Pharaoh. Amen? And in the same manner, when Jesus here in, in Luke, when he said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you know that the king, by the finger of God, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. What happened in that context is that the guy who was, who was possessed by Satan, who was blinded, who was muted, who was under the power and the authority of Satan for so long now has been delivered because the finger of God, the power of God has come and has set that captive free. Amen? So the finger of God, the kingdom of God, the power of God is a delivering power. It is not just power for people to use for their own gain and advantage. It is to set the captives free. Amen? It is for those who are living under the yoke of sin so they can be set free. It's for those who are sick, who cannot be healed by any physician so they can be set free. It's for those who are you know, like the friend here of Jimmy who might be experiencing demonic power. That's why the finger of God and the power of God is here to set those captives free. Amen. Amen. So the kingdom of God or the finger of God is a kingdom of greater power, of deliverance power, but it's also a kingdom of now power. Jesus said, when you see me cast out demons by the finger of God, then you'll know what? That the kingdom of God has arrived. Even though Jesus is not king at that point, literally king at that point, but the mark of the kingdom of God is that the power of God and the finger of God is doing so much miracles. What Jesus is saying here is this. Even though in re the reality of the kingdom has come, maybe not the physical kingdom has come yet, but the reality of the kingdom is something you can experience right now. Amen? Amen. Now, in the literal physical reign of Christ, when he is the king, there will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be the healing and the power of God, the peace and the presence of God. All these are the marks of the kingdom of God and what Jesus is saying when you see me perform miracles right now by the finger and the power of God even though the physical kingdom is not here yet but you and I can live in the reality of the kingdom it has already arrived right Jesus didn't say if you see me by the finger of God casting out demons then you'll know that the kingdom of God will sometime arrive in the future right or will soon arrive it has already arrived it's the here is the now is the today that we need to experience the reality of the kingdom of god amen amen we need to experience that in our own lives and in the life of the church in general. We need to see the power of God present, manifest, the greater power, deliverance power, the now power in our lives. Amen? Can we close our eyes and pray? Jesus said, you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, and you shall be my witnesses. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, for our church, if the power of God just touched us one time, one time, everything would be radically changed. The church is not going to just grow gradually. The church will explode. And I don't know about you, but 
this is the only way I want to see the church grow. Amen? We need to see the power of God. We need to see the finger of God delivering the oppressed now in Jesus' mighty name. This is a very simple song. We, you, you all might know it. And if you don't, the lyrics are really simple. It just say, more love, more power, more of you in my life. It's just as simple as that. So if you want, you can stand or um,
Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that even though the kingdom of our wrestling is not against, against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the powers of the kingdom of darkness. Even though, Lord Jesus, Satan and the kingdom of darkness has power, but we thank you today that you are the one who is stronger than the strong one. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the power of the kingdom of God is far much greater than the power of the kingdom of darkness. We thank you, Lord God, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And Father, as we look around to uh, our communities and the, our friends, our relatives, our, our loved ones who are living under the power of the kingdom of darkness, we thank you this morning, Lord God, that your power is still greater. We're not we're not following the one who has a weak power, but your power can still set the captives free. And that's why we cry out to you, Lord God. We want to see your kingdom come with signs and wonders, with powers, Lord God. We want to see the captives being set free. The prisoners are, are receiving their liberation in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we want to see sick people getting healed. We want to see people who are bound by sin being set free. Father, we want to see people who are just living on the snare of of Satan coming to the saving knowledge of Christ and being set free once and for all by the one who is stronger than the strong one who is able to bind him up and plunder all his goods. We ask you all of this, Lord God, in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen. Amen.